how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to him, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. For the month of December, we're going to, the rest of the month of December, we're going to look at this uh, blessing that's called the Aaronic, not ironic, but Aaronic after Aaron, the Aaron blessing. And we're going to see the application or try and see some application in our life, our lives. We, we want to look at this, get a greater meaning from it, get a picture of God, a clearer picture of God as we examine this ironic blessing. But to do this, we need to first understand how do we approach the Old Testament. This is in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, chapter 6. And so as we look at the Old Testament scriptures, how do we apply that to us today uh, in New Testament times or New Covenant times? And if we're not careful in all our study of the Old Testament, something will happen. We'll, we'll, we'll apply it wrong. We'll either look at this and say, well, this was, a, this was a blessing that was given in history some 3,500 years ago to the Israelites, and that was a good thing for them back then. Or we'll misapply it in some other way. And so the way we apply this, and I, the reason I, I'm telling you this at the beginning is to give us a foundation for the rest of the study, and hopefully give you a foundation for your study of the Old Testament. How do you approach this? How do you look at this? And the key is you look at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. The New Testament actually teaches us and shows us how to study the Old Testament. This, this was a revelation to me back when I was working in Fiji. I was doing some study throughout the scripture, and I came across some key verses that, I, that have helped me understand the Old Testament. Three keys in understanding the Old Testament. I'm going to fly through this, but it's going to be the basis of our study. There's three questions that you need to ask as you open up the pages to any Old Testament scripture to understand it from a new covenant relationship that you now have. The first question is this, where is the golden rule in this passage? Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, I think I have that on the screen, says, So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. All right, they did not say Old Testament, New Testament in Jesus' day. This is, these are Jesus' words. They said when they referred to what we call the Old Testament today, they called it the law and the prophets. That's what we call the Old Testament. And the golden rule, this, maybe you don't know this, um, this, this statement sometimes is referred to, not in the Bible, but referred to in society as the golden rule. It's a rule that is golden. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And it says, this sums up, this is the, this, when you add it up, when you add up all the law and the prophets, when you add up the Old Testament, this is what it comes up to. It comes up to this, do everything you do to, to others, do to them what you would have them do to you. In the Greek, the word here is literally, this is the law and the prophets. 
This is, when you look at it, this is the law and the prophets, treating other people how you, how you want to be treated. So we ask the question, how does this passage teach me to treat other people? Number two, how does this teach me to love? Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 38. Jesus, again, is speaking. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. You have a visual here. You have two commands. Love God, love your neighbor. And hanging on that, you can read every law, all 600 laws in the Old Testament, and you can take them out and you can say, where does this one go? Well, this one hangs on this one, and this one hangs on this one. This is kind of both. But every law hangs on these two commands. So the question I ask is, how does this teach me to love? How does this Old Testament passage teach me uh, to love? And the third one is, some, is really, I think, the most difficult and yet the most important. It's the most difficult because it's hard to find sometimes. And the question here is, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in this Old Testament passage? Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 says, uh, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to get rid of it. He says, I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This word fulfill literally means to cram something full. You have something half full and you cram it full. Uh, something's partially empty. You're filling it up. It means to complete. It means to satisfy. It means to finish a task. It means to fully preach or perfect. And so the Old Testament listen carefully, is incomplete if you don't find Jesus in it. You miss the point. It's only half full. You only got half the message. If you read the Old Testament and you don't find Jesus there, you missed it, at least half of it, if not more. He says, I haven't come to get rid of it. I've come to fill it up. I'm the one who fills up the Old Testament. Over in Luke chapter 24, do I have this one on the, on the screen? Probably not. Luke chapter 24. Let me, let me turn over there. My Bible is falling apart. <laughs> Luke chapter 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right. Near the end. Verse 25 through 27. Listen carefully. He said here, he said to them, he's talking to the apostles, uh, apostles how foolish you are. Or he's talking to the men, men on the road to Emmaus, excuse me. How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, that's the law, and the prophets, he explained to them and said that in all the scripture concerning him. He explained this. He said, I'm going to bring this out, and this whole thing is about me. And so as we look at the old, this passage in Numbers, and if you look at any scripture, my question is, how slow are you? How foolish are you if you don't find Jesus in that passage? The application where all this leads to is this. Our righteousness is from God. It's what Jamie talked about during the Lord's Supper. If we don't see God's righteousness as we read the Old Testament, 
gifted to us in the law and the prophets, we miss the testimony. We miss what the, the law and the prophets are testifying about. Over in Romans chapter 3, verse uh, 21, 22, he says, Now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, has been made known, it should be, to which the law and the prophets testify. The law and the prophets, the Old Testament testifies to this, that there is a righteousness from, the, from God, and it's apart from the law. You don't have to keep the law. And it's been made known by the law and the prophets. This righteousness comes from God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Here's the point. As I read this, and this is so important, as I make applications to these instructions in the Old Testament, what we come up with, especially in the Old Testament, if we don't look at it correctly, is that God told people what to do. They disobeyed. God's patience ended, and they were punished. That's the Old Testament prophets. And our application sometimes is this. We live. We disobey. God gives us some time, but he, punish, but he will punish us if we don't make some changes. That's Old Testament application to the Old Testament. New Testament application to the Old Testament teaches us how we are to live, some things we are to change in our lives. But it is based on a righteousness apart from the law. It is based in the work of Jesus. And if you miss this, you miss the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The New Testament application is this. It is true that I have sinned. I read the Old Testament and I say, I've sinned. I have broken the law. I have not kept his law. But I put my trust and I put my faith in the person who kept the law perfectly and then his righteousness is placed on me. When I read the Old Testament and I say, I'm condemned. I see Jesus who sets me free. I see Jesus who says, yes, you broke that, but I didn't. And if you come to me in faith and trust and you have your sins washed away by me, you are righteous. All those sins of punishment have been placed on me, Jesus says, not placed on you. Isn't that good news? Amen. That's good news. Amen. And we're going to see this as we come through this ironic, ironic blessing. I'm going to say ironic, I know. Ironic blessing. As we look at this blessing, as we examine it, this is just, all this is going to come out. We're going to see Jesus in here. We're going to see especially that his righteousness has been placed on us. And this is going to be good news. There's a beautiful, beautiful song that I'm going to share with you. And it's based on this uh, 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 passage in Numbers chip, uh, 6. Many of you know the song. And if you want to sing along, feel free. The music's going to be up there, the words. If you don't know it, it would be a good time for you to follow along and find out the part. It's a little complicated, but it's an old, old song that many of us love. It's a beautiful song. That's just, uh, it's, a, it's basically quoting this. And so we're going to play this together. Feel free to sing along or feel free just to listen to the words.
Perhaps at the end of the month, we'll all be able to sing that powerfully together. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. It reminds me of my uh, mother-in-law's um, funeral. We sang that, and, and there's several people in our family who are professional musicians or singers. And uh, it was a beautiful uh, time, one of the beautiful, most beautiful times I heard that song sang at my <coughs> mother-in-law's funeral. The Lord bless you. And this is a command that was given to the high priest, Aaron and his sons. It says, say to Aaron this, and immediately, folks, who do you think of? You see Jesus, all right? He's our high priest. If, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse uh, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess. You see Jesus, the moment you see Aaron blessing the people, you see Jesus blessing us today. These are Jesus' words to his church. This is Jesus' words to you, blessing you. Over in Luke again, chapter 24, verse 50, he is leaving, he's about to ascend into heaven. And it says, when he led them out of the, to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands, he lift, lifted up his hands, I left out a word there, and he blessed them. And I always wondered, what does that mean? Did he just kind of go, lift his hand, and it's it was a magic blessing? Or did he just say, bless you? Or we'd say here in the South, boys, bless y'all's hearts as he, as he <laughs> left the earth. I don't think so. I think, and I cannot prove it, but I think that perhaps the last words the apostles heard from Jesus was, I bless you and keep you. I shine upon you. I am gracious to you. I lift my face to you, and I give you my peace. Those could have been the last words the apostles heard as Jesus left this earth. And this is not poetry. It's beautiful. It's beautiful poetry. And I'll show you later how this is, how this is worded in such a way that gives you insight into God, just the, the poetry of it, the Hebrew poetry of it. But this is deep with meaning. If we know what these words mean, if we know what these things are saying, it's more than beautiful words have deep meaning into your life. It's in the singular, by the way. I bless you, not I bless y'all, all right? Sometimes you, you, God is trying to talk to the group, but here he says, to the group, I bless you, you, you. Each person is taken personally. I bless you. I bless you. And so this blessing of our high priest Jesus is speaking these words personally to me. Bless you. So abstract in English, isn't it? Bless. How do you know if something's abstract or concrete? Here's how you do it. If I tell you to draw a picture of it and you can't quickly draw a picture, it's abstract. If I gave everyone a piece of paper and I said, draw a dog, everyone, even the worst artist here could put a, a circle head, a box for a body, and a tail with some four legs. All right, you could do that just in five seconds. Everyone here could draw a dog. It's concrete. But I said, now draw bless. Pencils would not move. Pencil, uh, bless. How do I draw bless? How do I draw grace? How do I draw love? How, you, you would have a hard time with these, con, uh, these abstract things. And so I'm going to give you the concrete meaning because the Hebrew language was such a language that it gave you concrete things that you could see in your mind. You could draw it. 
immediately. And the first uh, picture that you got, would get from this is of your knee. I was going, I don't think I put a picture of a knee up here. It's hard to find a, a, an appropriate picture of knees. So uh, they're either ugly or they're too pretty. And so, but this is what it is, really. Uh, I spent about 20 minutes looking, trying to look, find, uh, find a knee, and I found this man's knee. I thought, well, that'd be good, but it was so ugly. I thought, no, I'm not going to put that on. But a knee, all right, that's the picture that you get from the Hebrew word, and it is bending or it's kneeling. There's three letters in the Hebrew alphabet here that is used to make up the word barak. That's, that's it on the screen, barak. And the first two letters, the bet and the resh, come up with the word bar. And that picture that the Hebrew would have in his mind when he saw that was grain, the head of grain. And that grain, the action behind it is feeding someone. When they heard bar, they thought of food, and it's filling up someone. It's feeding them, concrete pictures. And then the cough, the last letter, that, that particular one is of a hand holding out, grasping something, but holding it out, conforming to what it has in its hand, and it's handing it to someone. Bless. Put this all together. And it means it's an act of service. Bending down, hand, holding out something, an act of service. The Lord bless you. The Lord serves you. The Lord kneels before you, giving you what you need. And you go, no, 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 no. That, we can't go there. That's almost blasphemy for me to think of Almighty God kneeling before me, serving me, handing something to me. But when we see Jesus, we see God. John 1 verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Speaking of Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He has shown us who God is. When you see Jesus, you see God. And this man, Jesus, this God, Jesus, said clearly, I did not come to be served, but to serve. He knelt before some people and washed their feet and many other acts of service. His life was an act of service. God serving man. So when this word comes up, the Lord bless you. The Lord kneels before us, serving us, handing something to us. So how does he do this? How does God do this? The simplest meaning of this is a good word spoken. God speaks a good word. And when God speaks, he speaks a loving word. And when God speaks, he, he speaks life words. And all this, this is all tied together. His words, when God speaks, are not meaningless or trite. Sometimes we just blabber, and it's meaningless. But God speaks, it is full of meaning. It's full of power. The Bible talks, and we could go on and on on this, where he talks about the, the, his word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It di divides the soul and heart, the spirit, and on. He says in Isaiah chapter 55, I want to read this, Isaiah 55 in verse 11, he says, So my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When God speaks, he has a purpose for that blessing. And he says, and it will accomplish 
what I speak. God speaks. He blesses. Something happens. These are not empty words. This is action. Something is going to happen in our lives when we are blessed by God. The blessing comes with words, but you have to listen. There's a part that you play in this too. Over in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed creation. And he, create, he blessed mankind, Adam and Eve together. He, and it says, and God blessed them and said. All right, here's the blessing. When he speaks, the blessing comes. And, the, and then you just notice the verbs that are attached to this. He says, be fruitful, increase, fill, subdue, rule. These are blessing words. He's telling them action words. And then his part is found in the next verse, verse 29, when he says, I give. And I give to you. And he tells them what he gives to them so that they, these blessings can be fulfilled in their lives. The blessing lies in the actions of these verbs. We have to put them into practice. When you're blessed by God, you don't just sit there like you're getting a suntan and just lay there and get burnt by God. That's not the blessing. The blessing is you're given something and you have to do uh, something with it. Let's look at quickly at some ways which God blesses us. And we're just going to touch on these and just fly through them. We don't have time to go into each one in detail. We're blessed in our spirits, first of all. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 talks about his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. His power, his divine power is put into us and it's everything we need to live our lives, to live godly lives. And he says, so that you may participate in the divine nature, so that you are part of the divine nature that goes on here. We have the mind of Christ over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. He, in verse 15, he says, uh, well, who can understand God? Who can understand the ways of God? And the answer to that is, well, we can't. How can we understand God? And then he says, but, this verse, but we have the mind of Christ. How is that possible? It's been gifted to us. We can think like God. We can think the way he wants us to think. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says, in Christ we're new. And this word new means brand new, something you haven't seen before. We are a new creation. And based on this spiritual energy that we've been given, blessed in our spirit, we can change. If Christians cannot change... Under the power of God, we are no better than the rest of the world. We're just kind of safe people that are messing up all the time. The Bible says God's spirit is put in us, not so we just sit around and wait for heaven, but so that we mature in Christ, so we change. Things are happening in our lives. So we're blessed in our thoughts. What do you think about all day long? Where's your mind all day long? Do you know that whatever your concern is, whatever your concern is, do you know God knows more about it than you? Whether it's on your job or in your family or where, wherever it is, God knows more about that and can help you and gives you the power to handle that. Over in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, listen carefully. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Then in verse, chapter 2, verse 13 of Philippians, it says, For it's God who's working in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. He's the one that's putting this into action 
so that you can do these things. He gives you the ability to think what is right. God is working in you, and you can think the right way. That's a blessing from God. We're blessed in our emotions. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in in Christ Jesus. We are enabled, this is a blessing from God, to live without anxiety. That's good news. Some of you don't even believe that good news. I know you don't believe it. You're like, my life is anxious. But I'm telling you, you have been given the blessing of God to live a life without anxiety. Or God is asking us to do something that's impossible. He says, do not worry about tomorrow. All right? And it, that's either true or it's not true. Jesus was either lying to us or we're able to live that way under his power. It's a blessing from God. We're blessed in our possessions. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2 says, Dear friends, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. That phrase, all may go well with you. Some of your translations say prosper. It actually means succeed in business. I pray that your business will succeed. I pray that you'll get filthy rich. <laughs> He's saying, I pray that your business, what you're doing, your job, that you succeed in your job. We're blessed in our possessions. And this all is wrapped up in the blessing of Jesus. This word of blessing in all these areas are spoken in anticipation of the accomplished goal. He doesn't speak it and it's magic and it happens. He speaks it in anticipation. This is what I, I am calling you to. This is what I'm pointing you to. This is what I want in your life. This is the blessing you're able to achieve because I give you the power to do it. You can live without anxiety. You can live the, with good thought life. You can live in good emotions. You can do that because I've empowered you to do it. Now there's something you need to do to get there. So you ask the question, if I'm anxious... If God blesses me, why am I anxious? Why do I think wrong? Where are the possessions that I'm supposed to be blessed with? I don't feel blessed. We're going to flesh this out more fully in the weeks to come. We just don't have time in 30 minutes to talk about it, talk all of, about the whole thing. But we'll simply say this. God serves us. God kneels before us. If you can, if you can picture that in your mind, humbling himself, Extending his hand of grace to us with every gift of life, love, and goodness. It's his hands that give these things. He gives us everything we need for life in godliness. He gives us what we need in our possessions. He gives us what we need in our thoughts and emotions. Here's the question. Are you like God... Humble enough to receive them. God is humble enough to give them to you. Are you humble enough to receive them? Our response is a faith response. As we receive these blessings, we take them. Our hand conforms to the, like his hand is conforming to the gift he's given us. Our hand conforms to that. And we have to utilize the gift that's given to us. We have to put it into practice 
or you're not going to feel, experience the blessing. It's there, but you have to do something with it. And here's the key. Trust. Faith in action. When God blessed Adam and Eve, he gave them those active words, be fruitful, increase, fill, subdue, rule. But they had to put it into action. And when God get, blesses you with a multitude of things that we would just read, your, you got to read your Bible the rest of the, your life to see the way that God has blessed you. If you do not put it into action, you will not feel, experience the blessing. It will actually be there of no use to you. Do not be anxious, but pray. Whatever is noble, whatever is trust, uh, praiseworthy, think of these things. Think of these things. I don't feel blessed because I think about CBS News. That's where my thoughts are. Whatever news program you look at. If you're anxious about life, let me tell you this. Let me ask you, what are you thinking about? Let me give you an example. I was in uh, New Zealand recently when this man came up to me and he says, oh, aren't the fires terrible in, in, uh, in California? And he went on and on how terrible and awful and, and he was just frustrated and, and I'm like, what, what does that have to do with you? Now I know I, we, should, we have a tender heart for people who are suffering. I, I understand that. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying, what does that have to do with you? Unless you have family there, it has zero to do with you. And what the news does is focus you over here at fires or whatever, you know, something out thousands of miles away that have nothing to do with you, and you become anxious and worried and fretful over something you can do nothing about. You can pray for them, sure. But there's really practically, I'm saying in a practical way, there's nothing you can do. And sitting right beside you is a person that you're having trouble with and problems with, and you're ignoring them because you're, not deal because you're dealing with the anxiety of something thousands of miles away. I mean, just think about this. Whatever is praiseworthy, think about that instead of, those things. I always feel like I have to give a caveat and say, but you know, the I'm not going to give you the caveat today. If you have a problem with that, I'm inferring my caveat. <laughs> yes, we are to be tenderhearted and everything for other people who are suffering. But I'm telling you, you just can't suffer for the whole world. Only Jesus can do that. You, you know about the girl that was killed in New Zealand? in the Waikateri region where I was. Anyone know about that? See, none of you are worried about that. If you're there, you're worried about it. If it's your daughter, you're worried about it, right? See my point? You can't worry about her and this and this and this. The evil, the evil I'm going to say it in the King James. The day has enough evil in it, Jesus said, to deal with, deal with your own issues right here, right now. Because here's our problem. We forget the blessing. We forget how blessed we are. We forget the blessing that God is handing to us to use at this particular moment in our life. Right here, 
right now. We're distracted by everything else. And so this blessing in Numbers chapter 6 was said every morning by the high priest. And all through the day, as people met each other, as, as the Jews met each other, they would greet, one of their greetings would be this, the Lord be with you. And the answer was, and the Lord bless you. And it could have just degenerated into, hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. I know. But the purpose of that was to keep before them, every, not just in the morning, but all throughout the day, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. I guarantee you, you're going to leave here, you're going to eat lunch, you're going to forget it. You're going to forget it. Something's going to happen in your life, and you're going to forget you're blessed. And so leave, if you can remember. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Try to keep that before you this week. The blessings of the Lord. And we'll explore it more in, coming, in the coming weeks. God bless you, really. <laughs>